Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the book of Isaiah. Is it not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin, then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicators shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom will be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brent. You may be seated. Friends, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, as we come to your word, as your people, we come with so much longing, so much need, in some ways so much brokenness that we experience and we see in this world. Spirit, I pray that you would lead us that you would lead us into a community, into a life that seeks justice. Not just as an ideal, not just as the next cool thing to do, but that seeks justice from the, from the very ground of our being. And to know in doing so, we worship you. God, I pray that you would shape us to be a people who love mercy. A mercy for those around us, a mercy for ourselves, a mercy for the relationships that it's hard to extend. And Lord, may we move in humility. Here's the deal we don't know the answers, we don't know the systems, we don't know how to figure it out in our lifetime. But we humbly surrender to you and ask that your spirit would move within and through us to bring about your kingdom now and forevermore. Amen. Well, we've been looking um, during this season of Epiphany at this idea of what does it mean to be beloved community? We use this phrase that often can just be um, kind of the cloud, like cloudy in the sky, kind of beautiful image of, yes, we all want to be part of this beloved community, but, but at its core, what, what, are, what are its roots? Where, where is its grit? What, is, what does it mean to live into a beloved community together? And so we've walked through a couple things that we see in Scripture as they talk about beloved community. First, that beloved community is one that surrenders it surrenders to the agape love of God. That, that this is not something we can just create in our own, but it is fueled. It is a surrendering to a love of God that transforms our own heart and soul so that we begin to renew and restore the world around us. 
A beloved community at its core, it honors the dignity of all, that all are created in the image of God. And how we forget that, how we press that down, and how can we be people who bring in a remind of the dignity we hold and that others hold. Today we're going to look at this idea that beloved community, it seeks justice and a collective liberation. Think of a time in which you were engaged in community that was meaningful. True community that is meaningful always has one element, at least this element to it. One that that people come together, shared values, but also that this, a community exists for the life outside of it. It exists for others. It is not just for itself and its holy huddle and its circle. Those communities, though they can be healing at times, are not transformative and they're not sustainable. Scripture again and again shows that community is one in which it begins to find its life in whether it's the service, the relationship, the co-creating with those outside of the community. And so God, throughout Scripture, has all of these reminders in our lives of how we are to pay attention to those who are outside the circle in which we call community and how their life, their story, and their ways begin to shape our own. This is a center principle to what it means to build a beloved community, and we see it so deeply in this passage today. I want to move through a couple of things that we see in this movement towards others and this movement of co-creating with others. And the first is this, to cultivate beloved community, it is truly an act of worship. It says this, this is not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the throng of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. The people of Israel are trying to figure out what does it mean to worship this God? What disciplines, what songs do we sing, what words do we say? What does it look like to live a life of worship? And the response from God is this, to loose the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free. In this final section of the book of Isaiah, often kind of referred to as third Isaiah, this kind of final part of the Isaiah story, it is written to a people, a residents of Jerusalem, who during and at that have been exiled. They've been exiled from their home and their place. They have been exiled from their way of worship. Their temple has been destroyed. And it's written to a people that are called to return. But when they are called to return, they are called to return in a renewed way, not just go back to the same patterns and same ways of worship. And so as they're returning, what do they do? They do what we all do usually when we return to a place, is we just kind of go back to like, well, this worked before, let's try that again. So they go back to a way of worship, which is not bad, but it's not what God's calling for them at this time. They go back to a way of worship where they're like, okay, we probably, we didn't do so well. We're kind of going back home. Let's just start fasting and let's just start crying out and let's just start kind of beating ourselves up and then we'll return home and maybe God will let us back in. And God looks at this and says, no, this is how I want you to return. 
I want you to, appe- I want you to become a people who I created you to be, to loose the bonds of injustice, to feed the hungry, to let the oppressed go free. This will be your worship. This is how you will know and you will serve me. They are called into this new dynamic way of being. It's the same call that echoes in the words of Jesus when he talks to the religious leaders of his day. And he talks about them like a whitewashed tomb. The outside looks all pretty. You're doing all the religious things. You're fasting. You're sitting in silence. You're lighting the candle. All of that beautiful and good. But also, what is happening on the inside? Are you serving and caring for others? Are you humbling yourself before God? Are you extending mercy that you have received to God to others? See, fasting is an acceptable way to worship. But in this, the fasting acceptable to God in this time is a daily fast from oppression. It is a daily fast from blaming other people and pointing fingers. It is a, bla- is a daily fast of evil speech, self-satisfaction, entitlement, and a blindedness to our one's own privilege. The fast that God seeks calls for a vigilance of justice and generosity day in and day out. This is the act of worship that the people have been called into and echoes into our world and into our church this morning. The people are called to relate, to be in relationship with the hungry, the oppressed, the afflicted, but they're called to do so in a very specific way, not just as their mission, Not just as some project to those who are different than them. They are called into this relationship with other. Because when they do so, God says, I am here. Here I am. When you engage in the relationship with the hungry, the oppressed, the afflicted, God says, here I am. It is the same here I am that Abraham said to God when God called him out of his father's home. And Abraham said, I don't know where I'm going, but here I am. It's the same, it's the same here I am that Jacob, when he wrestled with the God man and he didn't know what lied on the next day of his path. But he said, you know what, God, here I am to meet and to know you. It's the same here I am that Moses spoke at the burning bush when God's presence appeared and Moses said, this is a holy ground and here I am present before your presence. It's the same here I am that Isaiah cries out. It's the same here I am that that Mary spoke when she encountered an angel and said, here I am, God, use me. But it gets reversed here. Instead of a people crying out and saying, here I am, God, God says, when you come and find relationship and you find life with the hungry, the oppressed, the afflicted, God from that place says, here I am. I am present there. In us, we desire to worship. It's just part of who we are as people. Again and again, I often repeat to myself, the question is not do I worship, but the question is what do I worship? 
We can worship all different kind of things, our jobs, our relationship, a preferred future for our lives. We, these can even be beautiful things that we can worship. But in this, God says you, you desire to worship something that can hold the worth itself. Here I am. Come, worship and know me. And where will you find me? Isaiah lays it out pretty clearly. So a beloved community and the cultivation of it is an act of worship. Beloved community is also a collective liberation. Share your bread with the hungry. Bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, cover them. And not to hide yourself from your own kin. When your light, then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. True and sustainable community is gathered for the sake of others. Beloved community, beloved community at its core understands that our freedom is woven into the same cloth of the freedom of other people. Our healing is found in the healing of others. As the passage says, do not hide yourself from your own kin. The English version is kin. The Hebrew is, do not hide yourself from, from these. Do not hide yourself from your own flesh. It's not just saying those related to you. It's saying these who you have separated yourself from are part of your own flesh. We are collective body that has been woven together. And so when we build relationships and know others, when we are vulnerable enough and share our brokenness with others, we begin a healing process, not just for those who we are in relationship, but for ourselves as well. We need to understand this deep connection that we have with others. We have been told the lie that we are just our own unit in our own life and you just need to protect yourself. My friends, it's just not true. We are not individuals who need to just pursue our own desires. We are individuals that are also created for community. That's how our individuality gets expressed best. That's how God created and shaped us. We are a body, our own flesh. And so when others hunger, we hunger. When others are oppressed, we all are oppressed. And so if we long for liberation and freedom in our life, if we long for the light to break forth and like the dawn and for healing to spring up quickly, we need to understand this interconnected relationship we have on our pursuit of liberation together. This week, I uh, met with a good friend and some others in our staff met with a good friend, um, Steph Francis, to hear about her work at Prodigy Coffee, an amazing coffee shop in Denver that we um, love to celebrate. Their mission is that, that through high caliber professional development and hands-on learning in a Prodigy enterprise, disconnected young adults develop mindsets and skills for sustainable careers economic mobility, and most importantly, go forth to enrich their city. I sat across the table 
kind of holding back my heart from leaping as I heard story and story again of an organization that understands that we are collective body together. And that when we are able to see the dignity of others that the world often overlooks, when we are able to create opportunity for those who are often pushed to the margins, when we are able to see our own healing and our own relationship bound together, when we do this act of worship, beautiful things begin to spring up. It was at that same place at Prodigy Coffee house in Denver that um, I had the privilege of hearing Father Greg Boyle, who created Homeboy Industries. If you haven't heard of him, you should. He has some amazing interviews online and an amazing book, Tattoos on the Heart, that I highly suggest. And as I was hearing him speak in this sacred space, I realized that there was a part of my life that that had, had been missing. He writes this, we are all called to kinship, inching ourselves closer to creating a community of kinship so that God might recognize it. Soon we imagine with God this circle of compassion. Then we imagine no one standing on the outside of that circle, moving ourselves closer to the margins so that the margins themselves will be erased. We stand there with those whose dignity has been denied. We locate ourselves with the poor and the powerless and the voiceless. At the, at the edges, we join the easily despised and the readily left out. We stand with the demonized so that the demonizing will stop. We situate ourselves right next to the disposable so that, so that the day will come when we will stop throwing people away. My friends, this freedom, this call that we have for our life is not just for others. It is for our own good. Our healing is wrapped with others. And so the places that we stand, the relationships that we invest in, those who we invite into our home, it matters. It mattered to the people of Israel as God was renewing his people and as God needs to renew his church and restore people today. It is our same call and it echoes into our life here and now. Now that sounds pretty, but the problem is it has a hard starting point. Beloved community at its core is birthed from our own brokenness. You can't just go, you're dangerous actually, if you just go and serve and try to change others' lives without embracing your own brokenness. The ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. Isaiah says, you shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. We have to realize in our own life that there is ancient ruins that have been destroyed. There are, there's ruins within our own story. There are foundations that have cracked. There is need for repair. And if we just go through life trying to fix systems and others without addressing our own parts of our lives that lie in ruins, our own stories where the cracks are there, we, we don't end up moving into these relationships in the holy and just way that we've been called to. 
So before we think that the work of justice or liberation comes from our power, we have to understand it is birthed from our brokenness. Our pains, our suffering, our traumas can, and I say can because it doesn't always happen this way, our pains, our traumas, our suffering can serve as a midwife for new life in us and for others. Israel was in exile, the temple was destroyed, their identity was broken, and it was from this place of brokenness that God called them to do the work of rebuilding and resurrection. I just finished an amazing book that's um, a movie right now called Just Mercy. Uh, I couldn't stop listening to it, one, out of like some of the horror of it, and also out of the hope of it, and it was just kind of stuck waving and moving between the two. It's a story about the broken systems, uh, justice systems in our world, and often some of the corruption that gets entangled in things like death row or children's imprisonment. And, but more than that, it's a story about a relentless search for justice. But even more than that, it is about a tireless pursuit of one man's self-discovery through love and mercy and a fight for the lives of others. Towards the very end of this book, and I don't want to give it away, but I will. Um, <laughs> towards the very end of this book, um, Brian Stevens, the author, is doing this amazing work like I, had, I have never read or seen in my life. And he gets to a place where he just breaks down and he says, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? He weeps in his office until he comes to the realization, I'm doing this because I'm broken. He writes this, there is a strength, a power even in understanding brokenness because embracing our brokenness creates a need and a desire for mercy and perhaps a corresponding need to show mercy. Did you hear that? Embracing our own brokenness creates a need and a desire for mercy and perhaps a corresponding need to show mercy. When you experience mercy, you learn things that are hard to learn otherwise. You see things that can't otherwise see. You hear things you can't otherwise hear. You begin to recognize the humanity that resides in each of us. It is from his own brokenness, his own story that just keeps popping its head up as he moves into this work of justice and love and relationship with others that he begins to find a sustainable way in which to care from and to find his own healing. Can we allow our scars, the scars in our own story, and we carry them. No matter how privileged you are, you carry scars because it's just part of being human. Can we allow our own scars to be a vision for healing? Brian Stevens all begins to talk about how this brokenness moves him into relationship with others. And he talks about it in this realm of proximity. Who are we sharing space with? 
Proximity has taught me some basic and humbling truths, including the vital lesson, each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. We might be broken, but we're not destroyed. My work with the poor and the incarcerated has, pursue, has persuaded me that the opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. Finally, I've come to believe that the true measure of our commitment to justice, the, the character of our society, our commitment to the rule of law, fairness, and equality cannot be measured on how we treat the rich, the powerful, the privileged, and the respected among us. The true measure of our character is how we treat the poor, the disfavored, the accused, the incarcerated, and the condemned because God says, here I am. Our call is not to romanticize the oppressed, the incarcerated, the poor. Our call is to trust God's presence there and to move into proximity, relational proximity of life with. Life with our own poverty and brokenness. Life with those who often are not given the systems and the ability to thrive. This is the vision of creating beloved community. It's more than just hugs and saying I love you. It's hard work that demands every part of who we are. May we cultivate beloved community as our song of worship and within our relationships with one another and through our own brokenness. This, this, this feels like a, Isaiah's passage feels like a big kind of pep rally call and so I wanna break it down very simply. What would it look like to take one step this week? One small step this week to seek justice to love mercy, to walk humbly with our loving God.